The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, July 21st, and I am your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blastoff Studios here in Times Square in New York City. Uh, developer Robert Siegel claims that he has been waiting to move into a former ballroom at the Dakota building since 1999. Siegel bought the apartment for $2 million 16 years ago. This according to the New York Post. The iconic building's co-op board, however, is using that space currently as storage. Now, Siegel is suing the building's co-op board for fraud, breach of contract, constructive eviction, and other related causes of action for $55 million, claiming... He was promised he could turn the former ballroom into a four-bedroom apartment when he bought it. Broker Dolly Lenz recently told the New York Post that the space would be worth $40 million if someone were to buy it today. When the 63-story MEMA building at 450 West 42nd Street was developed by Related in 2009, the top 13 floors named one MEMA tower were supposed to be luxury condos. However, by the time the building was ready for occupancy in 2012, market conditions had changed for the worse and Related decided to make them rentals instead, but now those floors will fulfill their true destiny having been purchased by a Chinese private equity firm, so the units of one Mima Tao will become those condos they were always meant to be. The Chinese firm says that they expect buyers to combine units and points out that the apartments will be delivered in nine months, much quicker than new construction would take. Jim Greikar, who stepped down as president of Halstead Property earlier this year, is moving on to Houlihan Lawrence in Westchester County, where he was named general sales manager. Greikar, who will oversee sales and agent development for the firm's residential, commercial, and project marketing firms, is excited with this new project. The brokerage has 30 offices and over 1,200 agents spread throughout New York City's northern suburbs. Jim is a friend to Good Morning New York, and we wish him well in his new home. It looks like Market Diner, a supremely iconic star-shaped eatery that's been open since 1962 at 572 11th Avenue, is not long for this world. The Moynian Group file permits for a 13-story building that would replace it. A favorite from the past of Frank Sinatra and West Side Gangsters, the diner had a sense that the end was in sight when a tipster contacted them in June about the imminent end of the diner's lease. They are planning on tearing down the historic diner to put up yet another tower, The permits call for 163 units, over 124,000 square feet of residential space. The building would also house 10,800 square feet of commercial space, which includes ground floor retail. The market diner is on West 43rd Street and 11th Avenue. What is sad about this story is that there are only a few such places left in our city. Compass is planting a flag in Brooklyn following several months of heavy agent recruitment. The startup brokerage inked a deal Monday to lease space at 514 2nd Street in Park Slope, the firm said. Formerly the home of pizza chain Two Boots, the new office measures 4,000 square feet, including outdoor space, and it can accommodate 35 desks. Compass currently has about 40 Brooklyn agents. In all, they have or they are now occupying some 77,000 square feet in New York City, including 50,000 square feet at Abbey Rosen's 90. Fifth Avenue. Now, here's a story. Bloomberg News reports that storage units in the Tribeca luxury apartment building 93 Worth Street are going for about $2,000 a square foot, which means that a 4 by 8 storage cage sold recently for $65,000. That's on top of the price of the apartment in the building where, for example, a current penthouse is listed for $9.9 million. This isn't the most expensive storage purchase ever. In 2011, someone paid $200,000 for a basement storage unit near Central Park. 
And at the Building 157, uh, they are selling storage units for $4,000 per square foot. Of course they are. Meanwhile, in Columbus, Ohio, you can buy a two-bedroom house for $54,000. So, you know, it's all about priorities. And finally, Iconics Toy Store FAO Schwartz. This is very sad. Closed its doors July 15th after operating in Manhattan for more than 150 years. The toy store has been at the GM building at 767 Fifth Avenue for 30 years, according to Bloomberg News. Due to rising rents, parent company Toys R Us decided to close the store rather than renew the lease. FAO Schwartz is hoping to reopen on the island someplace. The store has reportedly been in talks to open at Paramount Group 1633 Broadway in Times Square. Meanwhile, it'll be the first time in more than 150 years that the store won't have any retail presence in the city. In the meantime, toys by the FAO brand will be sold at Toys R Us and online. And that, again, is a tragic story. Anyway, on to our topic for today, Million Dollar View. HGTV is shooting footage right now for a pilot of a new reality series that may begin airing in early 2016. New York agents are assertive, they're razor sharp, and always hardworking in the country's most competitive market, New York City. In a city of over 8 million people where the average sale price is over $2 million, and that keeps changing, uh, the inventory is still limited, but buyers who want a piece of Manhattan lifestyle require a luxury apartment with a million-dollar view. Watch as the wealthiest and trendiest of New York's social, celebrated, and business elite hunt for just that right home. This is Million Dollar View. Our guests this week are two stars of the upcoming HGTV series, Kash Guha and George Brescia, who will take us into the world of reality TV shows and why this one will have an impact on the viewing audience. So for the past 10 years, Kash has developed his impeccable reputation in the real estate world, currently working at Blue Realty Group. His combination of salesmanship, professionalism, intelligence, and quick-witted personality have made him a New York success. Whether you are looking to purchase or sell a Manhattan property, Kosh will work diligently on behalf, on your behalf rather, to educate you on the process and negotiate the best terms possible. George has spent the last 25 years working with top fashion and biz, uh, beauty leaders, including Ralph Lauren, Donna Karen, Tom, Tommy Hilfiger, to name a few others, and with fashion directors at Bloomingdale's, Bergdorf Goodman, and Lord and & Taylor. He is a top-tier stylist and image consultant with clients ranging from A-list celebrities to top network shows to anyone looking to improve their appearance. He has made many, many TV appearances and wrote a book on fashion. So, gentlemen, good morning, and welcome to Good Morning New York. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So before we talk about Million Dollar View, let me ask you about your individual careers. Kosh, for example, you're a successful real estate agent in New York City. How? In, in I ask people who come here all the time, with all the competition out there, with so many, what is it, 25, 26,000 brokers, how are you so successful? Well, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, so I think experience has a lot to do with my success and dealing with the right people, with the right company and um, and being honest and upfront with your clients really has led me to my success and brought me to where I am in my career. Do you find that there are too many people – and again, I laugh because I'm also an agent as you know. Do you find though that there are too many people in our field just kind of running around and kind of mucking up the water and just getting in our way to, to do the things that we feel like we do best and that service our clients? You know, this is New York City. So, you know, we're going to run into uh, – Tons of different agents, but at the end of the day, the ones that are going to last are going to – time will only tell who will last and who won't. So, you know, people can try, but, you know, this business is not for everyone. The cream rises to the top. George, you were involved in so many things, all of which we'll touch on, you know, throughout the, the interview. But what is your main focus on a daily basis that gets you out of bed? What is the thing most days that you say, I got to get up, I got to get going, I got to get X done. What is that? I love helping people. Um, when I dress someone or if I'm working with someone in any kind of a venue, it's about letting them discover who they are and feeling terrific about themselves. And that just pops me right out of bed every day because I help all kinds of different people from celebrities to soccer moms to CEOs of companies that my clients are always changing and always different. But the bottom line is, is making them feel really great about themselves and discovering sort of who they are so that when they're out in the world every day, they feel fantastic because I like to work from the inside out. So I like the clothes to reflect who you are. And I have so many different kinds of venues. It's just very exciting. 
So what inspires you, you know, to work with the top fashion and beauty people? Is it that, that giving them the feeling from inside out to feel wonderful about what they look like or who they are or what they're actually presenting that day to the outside world? Absolutely. Regardless of what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I talk about in my book, Change Your Clothes, Change Your Life, the secret language of clothing. Your clothes speak before you do. So you might as well have them say exactly to the world what you want to. And, you know, I was inspired because I work with a lot of the Broadway community, having a column in Playbill, doing the best dressed after every Broadway show. And I also have a web series called Dress Up. This is all about dressing Broadway stars. But I was inspired because these people walk into a room for an audition and as soon as they walk in, the judgment is made. This person is either right or wrong by what they see. And then, you know, they can give the best song, they can give the best monologue, but really it's very hard to sway someone once they've seen you and they make a story in their head. So I want that to work for you. And this is true when you walk out your door every day in your life. So if you feel terrific, then you're going to look terrific and you're going to have an amazing day. And it's being present to your life and deciding how you want that day to go. Kosh, tell us a little bit about the Million Dollar Beauty. We're going to get more into it after the break. But, you know, you, you were selected to kind of head a team to find agents in this town who are going to make, you know, uh, good television personalities. So tell us a little bit about the selection process of Million Dollar View, and then we'll get into what is Million Dollar View uh, when we come back from the break. So at first, you know, I, I received an email from um, the production company of Million Dollar View. Uh, they're based in Canada. Um, and I guess they started by searching New York City, looking up listings, agents that have this, these caliber apartments that fit their, uh, their show. Uh, so when I received the email, at first I thought it was a joke. And then I reached out to them and we had a Skype call and uh, they basically told me what the show was about. Um, then I did a casting call um, with them. They, they showed it to the producers and – they love me. So they say you'd be perfect with the show. You have buyers that fit the caliber real estate that you've been selling with these million-dollar million views. And I said, absolutely. Um, so I did offer them to, you know, maybe I can introduce the show to other agents. And actually a colleague of mine in, in Miami, he's on the show too. So it's not just about New York City. It's different uh, I was going to ask you about cities. that. So it's not just New York. It's yeah. a show about um, agents who are representing uh, fabulous, you know, high floor apartments with beautiful views, hence the title, um, anywhere in the city. Is that correct? Yeah, anywhere in the city. It, it's actually based on the buyer's criteria. You know, for example, George, you know, he wants to be on the west side. So correct. it's based on his needs, you know, and each buyer, depending on what views is inspiring to them. How, you know, t tell us a little bit about the show. So it, it's called Million Dollar View. And I guess the premise is, again, as I said a minute ago, that, you know, buyers out there are, are searching for, and as I said in the intro, everybody wants to have that fabulous view in New York City. Not everybody could afford it. But the higher you go in a building, just for our listening audience, the better your view will get. Um, mm -hmm. And, of course, the price goes up. So, you know, what is it about these particular, you know, uh, views that get people going? Let's hold the thought. We're going to go to break. As soon as we come back, we will discuss that. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. 
All right, everybody, we're back with George Brescia and Kash Guha, stars of the upcoming HGV TV series, Million Dollar View. So, guys, what is the premise of the show other than Million Dollar View? I mean, I just set it up before we went to break that, you know, most people out there want to buy an apartment on a high floor with a beautiful view, you know, part of the being a, a New Yorker with a fabulous presentation when people come to visit you and also for yourself as you're living there. But what, you know, what is the premise of this show other than a view? Is it just, you know, kind of showing people what's out there? Uh, and what they can get for their dollars. And by the way, how pricey is an apartment with a view in this town? Well, the, the premise is based on the buyer's particular um, view, inspiration, you know, whether it's a city view, Central Park view, uh, water view. So it, it's kind of um, catered to the buyer's specific requirements. Um, and this will happen throughout um, the series, whether because we filmed them Miami, New York, Vancouver, Toronto. So it all depends on that person in that particular city and what they want. And all of these cities, by the way, have these tall skyscrapers and have magnificent views. George, so for you out there looking for an apartment with a magnificent view, what was your inspiration? What is your motivation? Why do you need You know, this? for me, um, you know, it's to it's about you're my nest and feeling amazing when I'm in my apartment. I'm a creative person. Everything I do is creative. So it has nothing to do with any kind of uh, pretension or sort of, um, you know, to showcase anything. For me, it's about feeling amazing in my space. And when my clients come in, it's a very intimate process. You know, a lot of times the clients are spending their time in their underwear while they're changing and it need they need to feel great and they need to feel safe. It needs to be happy. It needs to have a lot of light. It really is based so much about making, you know, myself feel terrific and my clients feel very wonderful when they come in. And that's really what it's about. And a view that's going to, you know, feel peaceful and serene and and offer inspiration to both of us because it's such a creative process as to what we do. So that's really what it's about for me. Um, so how does this show compare to others? Now, we're all very familiar with Million Dollar Listing New York, LA, now San Francisco. We had Miami. How does this show compare? I mean, obviously, that's very over the top. Obviously, that's very you know combative at times. It's 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 a little more than what real estate really is about in New York City or in these other towns. How does this show compare to those? For me, I think the reason that I got involved in it is because it isn't about all that. It really is about just the truth. You know, my journey as to looking for a space that I'm going to be really excited about living in and that my clients are going to be excited to come to. And so it's about showing, you know, different spaces in New York, a little bit of an insight to my life, what I do to, you know, show someone in my kind of a career, you know, what that's like, how that informs the space that I want to live in and what it's like in New York to take that journey. And then things that, you know, anything that develops between Kosh and I, I like to call him Kashi, and I do in the show. <laughs> Kashi. And, um, you know, and then He my, has a lot of nicknames, by the has, way, but that's he's okay. He's fabulous. He has a lot of nicknames, and they're all good. And and then I have, uh, you know, a shopping buddy that I brought with me, a girl named Natasha, who is also in the fashion world, and she's a, a, she's a, fabulous. a publicist. I adore her. And so, and we have a ball and we laugh and it's funny and it's silly and it's, you know, and that's what it's about because that's what this whole journey is. And it re the show really is a window into that. No more, no less. And, you know, I think the, the viewers are going to have a good time while they're watching it. Because and, uh, I don't want to give away the results of the show or the episode or whatever. So I'm not going to ask you if you found a place. I guess we'll have to <laughs> tune in and find that out. But Absolutely. What is the position of HGTV at the moment? I mean, I know it's on the docket. I know they're filming and they're hoping that it's going to become pilot. What is their position right now with the show actually premiering? I think, Kosh, you said in the wintertime of 216. Yeah, so um, it's supposed to either at the end of this fall or the winter of this year. Oh, that's so soon. So we're, we're finishing okay. filming at the end of August. Uh, mm -hmm. Then they go to edit. Uh, HGTV is one of the contenders uh, to pick the show up. Uh, the director, he's filmed most of uh, HGTV's programs like Property Brothers and you know other things um, on HGTV. So uh, we're hopeful it's going to be with HGTV, but it's not 100% at this point, but uh, it's looking really good. They're who, no, number one contender. Who might right be now. some of the other contenders? Do you have any well, idea? Bravo? Uh, possibly Bravo. I'm not 100% I'm not sure, so I can't really – and for me, I'm just the talent. I'm just here to make you laugh and to feel good and to look handsome on camera. So that's all I can tell you. Well, you are handsome. And by the way, I heard that you were very good on camera. So I can only just imagine what the show is going to be oh like. Oh, my God. You're my new best friend. Call me every five minutes. I've been George is great. <laughs> I certainly will. 
Tell me a little bit about the actual production of the episodes. Now, you were on one episode, correct? And you yeah. filmed, and Kashu did two episodes. So tell our, tell our viewing audience, I'm a little familiar with reality uh, program uh, programming as I, I did some uh, producing uh, way back, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago. But anyway, so give me a little bit of a background, the listening audience. How do these shows come together? We watch, again, Million Dollar Listing. We watch all of these Bravo uh, programs reality-based, how do you shoot these shows? And how long does it take, for example, to do a one-hour reality program? It takes days, you know. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about us, yeah, it, it's a lot of time. But, the, you know, the great thing is, um, I think in this particular instance, you know, and working with Kosh and working with, you know, the production company and, and my girlfriend, Natasha, I'm on television all the time, obviously. So that's what I do. So, you know, it we really did a lot of things in, in one take and, and the cameras are going and they were very um, diligent on, you know, the, a reveal. Like we didn't get to see the space before we started shooting. They were really, really um, diligent about that and I was very impressed with that and and there was lots of fun and you know like the great thing about reality TV when the cameras are going things evolve and things happen and you start you know lots of humor it's and like it's, this show you never yeah, know what's gonna happen it's lot, you know like basically you know they want those moments they capture and they're and they're great and so I think you know I've done a couple things and this experience was not only real and fun but just easy and I think that you know that's where I feel like the best TV can come from do you think, though, that the audience out there with all of these reality programs that are currently on television, Bravo, Bravo and, and wherever, HGTV, do you think we as the listening audience can absorb one more? I do think so. This is a totally different show than what's out there. Um, you know, this is not a drama show. This is nothing to do with that. It's you know, like to George's point, it's the journey of the buyer. And these particular buyers want those killer views. So between having the wow factor every time, um, because you want to see what the next view is in the next city. So th that's what's going to captivate the audience, I think. And I think also, you know, it's really, you know, it's about the people, right? So um, it's about getting to know us and, and they'll either like us or they won't. You know, there's no guarantees. But really that's – when you say can it absorb one more, you know, it's just – it's an, it's meeting new people on camera is really what it is. And do we like those people? Do we want to see what they have to say next? Are they funny? Are they fun? What kind of a journey is this? I mean when you look at Jeff Lewis and his show, you know, Flipping Out, that was supposed to be a show about – turning over houses, like decorating yeah. them, renovating them. It is not a show about that. It's a show about Jeff. It's a show about Zoila. It's a show about Jenny because you get to know them. And I think that's what, you know, I think we're going to see some fun people on Million Dollar View as well as, you know, really interesting apartments and what it's like to find them and what it's like to, you know, uh, think about the pros and the cons. I, I agree. I think the show is going to give the the audience out there a, a, a more you know interesting look at New York apartment searching, whether it's for, with a view or not, based on some of the other shows that are you know more dramatic in in, in their nature. So I, I'm looking forward to this as well. Absolutely, as you said, an honest you know depiction of what it is to go out there and actually find an, uh, an apartment with a great agent like Kosh uh, from. Yes, Blue. absolutely. And I think the thing that this show focuses on too is it focuses on the you know, a, a lot of it is the buyer and the relationship where mm. you look at some of these other shows, which is fine. Hey, listen, that's fabulous TV and a lot of people love it. It's really about the agents, right? And their fabulous life and what they do and their cars and they're on their cell phone and they're going to the Hamptons and they're doing all these crazy mm -hmm. things for their show houses where this is much more about like, what is it like to find a space that's going to make you feel amazing in New York? That's going to give you a view that inspires you and what do you do to do that and then the funny things that happen along the way exactly mm -hmm. right, we only have a, a minute left or less um, we've got to go to break again unfortunately but but lastly what do you guys hope to get out of this show individually I mean it's a great show and hopefully it's going to premiere and it's going to make you stars what do you hope to get out of this um, individually I think exposure you know is, is going to be great for both of us you know and you know it's going to be on to grow to, your business to grow our business to to get our names out there even further, you know, and I think it'll, it's a great opportunity. I think for me, I don't really, there's nothing I really hope to get out of it. I did it because I thought it would be fun. I did it because I was working with some friends of mine and, you know, um, I just wanted to have a good time. You know, I'm looking for a place and, and I thought it would be an interesting way to do it. And that's really all my expectations were. Um, okay. Well, you know what? The, to me, this is this is absolutely unbelievable. I'm looking forward to the show. I can't wait until it uh, it premieres. Hopefully, it's in the fall. But yeah. if if anything, it's going to be 
in uh, the winter of 2016. The show is Million Dollar View. We have George Brescher. We have Kash Guha. We wish you both success, and we're going to be looking forward to it coming up. We have to go to break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and I want to say thank you once again to Kash Guha from Blue Realty Group and to George Brescher, uh, who are both starring in the upcoming HGV TV series, Million Dollar View. So we look out, we will be looking out for that. I am back for our third segment. I have our panelists here, Parul Brombat, Niall Lundgren, Rachel Altschuler, Ivy Ray, and Deborah Hoffman. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We missed wow. you last week. Wow. That's a very good good morning. You planned that. Got to turn the mics down. You planned that. Of yeah. course you did. So for a million-dollar view, do you get a view of a brick wall? I was going to say, you know, do you I gonna, get a view? Multi-million-dollar view in New York. I was going to ask you all to clarify that because we all know what is a million dollars. Outside of New York City, it's retirement money, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, putting and anybody mansions. down. mansions. And mansions and a whole lot of things. But in New York City, million dollars, you know, basically gets you a one bedroom, you know, I mean, give Wait, or take. I sold a studio, which was 500 square feet two months ago. That no was way. one million one hundred twenty-five thousand. That was the sale price. The you got them to pay the mansion tax? What? Yes. That's, that's incredible. Was they <laughs> studio? They did. You it was in the Sheffield. Wow. What? Oh, yeah. It's, they had what? a view. Amazing. I was going to ask you. You don't have to tell us tell us the, the the building, but at least tell us the neighborhood. The Sheffield. You got a million dollars. One million one two five. So it had and a the view of the park. Tax. Does it have a view of the no. park or just skyline? No, open open city. Yeah. Well, oh, you know what? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say holy shit. Okay. I said it when I he wanted this listing Absolutely. when he wanted Absolutely. this apartment. Amazing. I said holy shit. All right, so back to Rachel's comment earlier. Yeah. So, you know, uh, do you get a view or do you get a brick wall? I mean, I've sold a million-dollar apartment, you know, and, and, and higher, and you do get brick walls. So yeah. it's not – you guarantee that for that kind of money you're going to get a view. You're probably going to be spending close to $2 million, $1.5 million, $1.4 million, depending on where, depending on what building, depending on a whole bunch of things. So mm-hmm. let's keep the million-dollar word in perspective mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. Of yeah, course. it used to mean mm-hmm. much more than it does now. <laughs> Well, and not to say anything over a million dollars, you're paying a mansion tax. So yep. in this town, which we've talked about on this program, which is rumored to go up, go down, stay the same, whatever, we'll, we'll soon to see. But, you know, you're paying a mansion tax on top of that $1 million. So if you're coming to New York City, um, good luck. Let's get on to our topics. Old money versus new money. Residents on Sutton Place are peeved that a developer is building a luxury tower on their coveted street. The developer had earlier said that he expected it to be 13 stories, maybe 30 at the most. But the New York Times reports it's going to be a skyscraper and it's going to be 90 stories. Worse yet, a number of co-ops enabling the towering 
enabled the towering tower – towering tower, isn't that interesting – when they sold their air rights. <laughs> Let's say that again. Never mind. Uh-huh. Still, the developers' official officials insist that they weren't planning to build 90 stories and at the time of the December meeting with the shareholders, they had only had enough air rights for 30 stories. All right. So what here – for the Sutton Place residents, is the real problem? Is it old money that doesn't want the new money, or they don't want these tall buildings to deface, you know, their quiet historic neighborhoods? Everybody has issues over glassy tall buildings, especially mm-hmm. when you're in older, you know, moneyed, you know, old world neighborhoods. What, what's the deal well, with? I've those? been doing a lot of business in Sutton Place the last few months, and it's. The towers are not in the character of the neighborhood. It's not old money versus new money. People who choose to live in Sutton Place are the same people who would choose to live in Greenwich Village before all the new development. Mm -hmm. Any of these historical uh, low-height neighborhoods, people want it to stay that way. That's why they moved there. It's a matter of character. It's not old money versus new because I've heard people complaining from both sides. From both sides. Mm-hmm. And the few people who I've heard saying, oh, it's wonderful for the neighborhood, they tend to be renters which are more transient in the mm-hmm. neighborhood, which I think is very interesting. It's not unlike – do you guys remember when they put up those two towers and of course the names escape me right now on the Upper West Side on 99th or 100th Street? The Ariel East, East and West. Yeah. Remember, <laughs> do you remember the controversy over those yeah, two very Same thing, tall buildings? Same thing. In fact, I think you know um, either Landmarks or, or somebody up there put – some kind of rules in place that they could no longer ever do that again mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. certain blocks up there because mm-hmm. it made such uh, a statement. A mark and it, on the skyline. And it made yeah. a very big mark yeah. on the skyline. And I got to tell you something, you know, you can see those buildings anywhere from mm-hmm. the Upper West Side. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like, you know, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. But up there, they cannot do that again. So I find all of these skyscrapers very important to New York City, but also um, they have become very controversial. Look at 57th Street and there are three or four more planned oh, yeah. to go there. So yeah. talk mm-hmm. about changing well, the skyline. You know, and speaking of set in place, though, I think the one good thing that, you know, sort of the, the silver lining on this conversation is that they did buy so much of the air rights in the surrounding area that really there isn't going to be anything else that can really build very high around it. And I think that that's important to understand sort mm-hmm. of the air rights and density versus just height uh, conversation in this town. All right, moving on. Downtown used to be where people worked, not lived or played, but it's now home to some of the most dynamic developments in Manhattan while demand continues to increase. Indeed, according to Platinum Properties, in the first quarter of 2015, the average sale price of two-bedroom units increased more than 20 percent over the same period in 2014, while one-bedrooms increased more than 13 percent since the last quarter of 2014. And 50 West Street may be the highest-profile new building in the area, but it's hardly alone. You know, so let's talk about the financial district in Lower Manhattan and why it's so hot. I mean, Ivy, you've spent a lot of years living there. I know now you've worked down there quite a lot. Yep. You know, I remember, you know, in, in the days that I worked on Wall Street, it literally was a place to work. And at 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock when the bell rang and everybody from the, the stock exchange went home and then the rest of corporate America left between 5 and 6, it was dead zone, okay? You did not want to be there after hours because there was nothing there. What the hell has changed? We've, we've talked a little bit about this on the program before, but it's becoming now really not only popular but extremely expensive. Why? Yeah. Why? Well, I think Niall would definitely agree or all of you would that it's the oldest part of New York City. Mm-hmm. And that has relevance, <laughs> at least for me, I think for all of us. And it's also well, it's very becoming, yeah, it's, there's just no, you are surrounded by history. Yeah. A good portion of the streets are wide. Many of the streets have no, no uh, transport on them and that it is just pedestrian. You've got the New York wall, uh, the, the New York stock exchange, you have Deutsche Bank, you have all of the, a good percentage of the financial institutions have still come. A lot of people after 9-11 left, mm-hmm. this left millions of square footage available. Mm-hmm. And then what it is that happened, I, I can't talk about, I am, am not privy to why this took place, but um, ad agencies, fashion some of the some of the hallmark people in both of these have all moved mm-hmm. and occupied down there. You've got tech companies. You've got the World Trade Center offices. You've got the uh, subway metro system and all of that mall. You've got South Street Seaport. You've got water on both sides. You've got the Downtown Alliance, which is one of the most progressive. And I can't remember she, – her name slips my – 
my mind, which is unfortunate because she's an extraordinary woman. That that organization has done so much down there. So there are now services and restaurants. One of the best private schools, which Jay Z and you know their their daughter, all of these people's kids go there, uh, the Green Ivy School, and you have these buildings that have been uh, redone from original bank spaces, et cetera, that are like towns. They're huge and they're gorgeous, and they've got amenities that are insane. The roof decks for the companies that have relocated, amazing, and a lot of the price per square foot commercially has been like forty. It's it's averaging at 40 a square foot where we know in Midtown, Midtown South is 75 to 100, 125 a square foot commercially. I mean you just – you for those that seized it while it was hot and still available, there was no better find. And that goes residentially hey, as well. I was just going to say now on the, the residential prices, side. Oh, on the residential it side. It's insane. I lived there for almost six years. I was so happy. I There was not – Anything that I didn't love. Now yeah. it's all changed. Mm-hmm. And now it's packed. And now is when Ivy left. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I did my time, but it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah, and I it's think, still old. And I think <gasps> one of the things that you said is that you're talking about it being still old and having all of these businesses or banks leave post 9-11. Uh-huh. And that frees up, you know, developers to go and buy those buildings and then convert them to residential. Yes. So what you see in those buildings is there's kind of like – they're a little awkward sometimes in their in their layouts because they were configured for offices at the beginning. Yes. Um, so they're, they're little shifty uh, layouts. But then you sometimes you do get really high – um, lofts in those uh, buildings, like you know, for example, Twenty Pine, a building that I know Ivy yeah. loves, um, and I think yeah, Ninety Nine John as well, Parole. And um, another another thing is that you, you mentioned the World Trade Center. I mean, that is huge. We talk about Hudson Yards being huge, and all of the things that are going to happen because of that, and all the development and why price per square foot is booming. You know, you have Condé Nast coming down from Midtown into the World Trade Center. That's big. And They're that's, in full time. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's yeah. and that was a huge move. And then that changes the whole scene from generally just being banking to, you know, kind of being more eclectic and having totally. more fashion and, and all these. Revlon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, Helmut Lang and I mean, just name them. And yeah. Skadden Arps, the largest law firm in the area, which was in Times Square, just signed right. m- multiple floors there. I, it's crazy what has happened down So there. is it safe yeah. to say that people still enjoy walking to work? And I mean, walking literally very close by versus a nice walk, you know, 10, 15 block walk every day. Is it safe to say that people live or want to live close to where their offices are? I mean, I personally do not. I would rather commute to my office. So when I'm home, I'm I'm home. But I get the sense that the people in the financial district or who live in and around that area want to be there because they can literally walk to work. They work long hours. And that's what they want. Well, it's not just that. You got to realize that you know, another thing that that brings the financial district together is that every subway ties in down there, and Very you can true. literally get anyway. So, yeah, it is Very a walker's true. paradise if you're going to be going over to you know the World Trade Center. If you work on a bank mm-hmm. on Wall Street, that's fantastic. But let's not forget that you could literally go anywhere in the city super fast, east or west. I which commuted is a huge faster. Advantage. I've lived in New York City my entire life. My commute was quicker. To anywhere in the city living down there than it ever had Absolutely. been. Absolutely. Wow. It blew my mind. Yep. How fast. And you've got buildings that have like under underground tunnels to the subways. I mean, it's yeah. wild down there. Yeah, especially yeah. in the wintertime. And to tip when on, or to, to continue on what you said, that it's true that a lot of the floor plans are very unique in yeah. a lot of these buildings. That is the draw for the commercial people. Mm. They're like blown away yeah. that they get all of this really unique <clears> space if they are design firms or ad firms or fashion firms because this is this is what they do yeah and they're thrilled about it and then let's talk about the roof space there's more roof space down there than anywhere else in the city yeah and you know forget it there's free wi-fi everywhere more outdoor art than anywhere else in new york i mean the perks are endless it's unbelievable let's move on before we go to break so this is a very controversial one if you're in new york city and you open uh the uber app uh, you will find a new ride option next to the big list of its usual choices, and it says de Blasio. So it's not a way to get a ride, obviously. <laughs> Instead, it's a way to needle the New York City mayor. Are going to pick us up? <laughs> They'll be late. They'll be late. No. It's a way, <laughs> it's a way to, to needle the New York City mayor and try to get Uber users to pressure him to back off on a proposed legislation that could seriously hamper Uber's growth efforts in the city. Uber is dealing with pushback from regulators and taxi companies all around the world. But in New York City, it's about to become one of the biggest fights ever. The mayor is backing a city council proposal that would temporarily freeze all new licenses for new hires. 
uh, on Uber. This after he said he wanted to add more jobs in the city in his administration. And Uber counters back saying that if he leaves them alone, they can create 10,000 more jobs in this town by hiring 10,000 more uh, drivers because guess what? The city uh, riders, the people who live here, are demanding it. So my question is, you know, what is the mayor doing? Why is he doing this? And we all, again, as uh, real estate agents, I know I use Uber all the time when I'm when I'm running around with a high-end buyer. Uh, it's like a limousine service as well as a, you know, one-to-one stop kind of ride. What's going on? I mean, why do we want to dampen their growth? Well, I think that from the mayor's point of view, it's about protecting the the cab drivers and, the, and those businesses, the yellow cab business in the city. However, I think that, you know, I think this opens a really interesting conversation because I was in Philadelphia this past weekend and it seems that in just about every other major town, Uber's prices are so much lower than what they are here. So while I agree that they can create a lot more jobs here, I think that there is a demand for more transportation and the mayor should be looking at the fact that this is an addition and not taking away from the yellow cabs. Um, I Because I really believe, I mean, I think most of us would agree as being Uber and cab users that it hasn't taken, I don't take lesser cabs. I just take, you know, Uber when cabs are not available at really high peak times. However, the prices that Uber is charging the the average consumer is where the discussion needs to be, which I think that they need to be curbed to not being able to charge beyond a certain surge value. Because I think that in New York, they're really, I mean, I think Uber is really making all their money in this town over anywhere. They are, but what's happening now is there's other companies that are coming up. Yep, yep. and creating Get, competition. There's Via, which yep. I've been yep. using. Yeah, Via's which, great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm using yeah. it after we leave here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but Parul, you nailed so, it because yeah. I think yeah. that's where the discussion needs to be. Absolutely. I have been an advocate for, you know, additional car services in this town. Not that I want the yellow taxi drivers to 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 take a hit. However, I think the pricing on Uber needs to be completely revisited and completely adjusted. Well, if there's more – So that's, that's key. It's supply if there's and more, demand. Yeah, exactly. If there's yeah. more drivers Absolutely. on Uber, 10,000 yeah. more drivers, then, then the surges aren't going to be as crazy and the yes. prices are going to go down. I right. think so. Right. All right. Listen, we have to go to break. You're listening to uh, Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. We're talking to Perul, Nile, Rachel, Ivy and Deborah, and we wanted to just continue briefly our conversation on the Uber versus the yellow taxis here in New York City. Ivy, you wanted to say something. I did, and I will pay note to the term that you said briefly. So I'll speak quick, and maybe it's a a subject that we can bring up at some other time because I think it's a big one, but all for progress. And it may seem as if when we speak of the progress in the building in New York City, I have a special place in my heart for it, so I get a little passionate on one side, but if all I do is play on one side, I'm not so interesting because there's many sides to everything. And I would just like to bring up that the uh, the yellow cabs, and Debbie had something to say as well, um, the yellow cabs in New York City are suffering. 
And I am with parole. And I mean, progress is imminent and essential in cities, especially ones like New York. And I just like to shine the light on the other side that yellow cabs are suffering. They've spent a hundred thousand. They've spent so much money. I wish we, we should get the, um, as the years have passed, what it is that a medallion costs an individual. And the system has been breaking. And all of us that live in New York city know that getting transportation was next to impossible at some point that has a lot to do with what we've done with our traffic, traffic patterns as well. But, um, my hope is that Blasio will, will rebuild or restructure the yellow cab, they'll, they'll still be what they are and we can help them rise and get better. And then there's room for everybody. Well, part of the reason that the – But they've the, suffered greatly that's because right, of Uber. That the medallions are I so talked. expensive also. If you yeah. remember the last few administrations – Deborah, limited. explain what a medallion is to the listening audience, please. It's a license. It's basically a license that by law – it's a big metal thing that <laughs> the Taxi and Limousine Commission has to actually bolt into the hood – of your yellow cab to show that this is yours. Legitimate, right. And exactly. And to show that it's licensed. So these medallions were limited during past administrations. And again, supply and demand, if there's limited, they're going to cost more. Mm-hmm. What's interesting though is what has this has turned into is the people who own the medallions tend to be someone who could afford $100,000 mm-hmm. and they hire out the cabs to other people. So the person driving you around, chances are they don't own that medallion. Mm-hmm. They're on a shift and they're mm-hmm. not keeping all of their fare or tips. Well, they're keeping their tips, but they're not keeping the whole fare that you're giving them because it's going to the owner. They have a to portion pay a of rental. their tips go to the owner as well. Sometimes. I think it depends on the company. Yes, yes. I agree. It depends, it, depend, on the company. it depends on the company. So I think I agree with Ivy that I think Yellow cabs are part of our tradition. It's New York City. It's Some New of us York are City. old enough to remember the big checker cabs, which I oh, miss. Totally. Which were bigger than the minivans. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's part of our tradition. It's part of New York City. We yeah. can't get rid of them. But we have to take a closer look as to what the do-gooders in the past didn't really do so good for the taxi administration. Uh, and I think – we're li- look, we're living in the States. We have free enterprise – Uber has a place. The yellow cabs have a place. Agreed. Let's well just said. kind of yeah. let everyone have a piece and step back. Free enterprise yeah. in New York City. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. So anyway, moving on. While summer has traditionally been real estate's slow season and with New York's market more overheated than ever, there is no reason to hold off till the fall like we used to if you're looking to put your place on the market. It's a phenomenal time to be a seller. This summer in particular, on the heels of a brutal open house unfriendly winter in the midst of an ongoing inventory crunch and in the shadow of impending interest uh, rate hikes from the Fed, buyers are more eager now than ever still. Selling in the hottest time of the year and when half of New York City seems to be out of town does come with its own particular set of quirks. What are some of the suggestions and pro tips on pulling off a summertime sale, guys? I mean, is it is it – Still okay to go on the market at this time of the year when today it's going to be 94 degrees and hot and humid. I was just talking about that with the panel earlier. That is so funny. Yeah. Uh, In the green room. That's we why we were, all pointed to we you. We were saying, <laughs> you know, a lot of brokers push off their listings and their clients to We the all fall used to. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to particularly work in the summer and uh, they want to take August off. So they blame it on the market. And so what happens is when you do list in July and August, guess mm-hmm. what? You get a frenzy. You get a great yeah. price. You are a hero to your client. And so, yes, we're working every day and it sucks, but that's your job and you have to take that listing. And I I literally said to Niall and Deb before, I said I had a client. I followed up with him and I saw that his broker that he went with who – has a good reputation, but then doesn't have a good reputation, advised him to take it off the market. And I said, how are you going to assess pricing when you put it back on the market? Because you you can't gauge if you're priced correctly if you're off the market. And what's the feedback? You need that feedback. So um, he actually said to me that he should have given me the listing. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when yeah. I was a brand new agent, I started 14 years ago, as I mentioned on this program before, you know, when I worked for a very big, reputable company. And I started in the spring time frame, so around May. So, you know, we got to the summer months and I and I started hearing things from all of my very senior colleagues like, oh, no, 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 we're, you know, we put off this listing and we we told our seller we're not going to do anything till September, October. And I kept hearing this as like a trend and I kept thinking to myself, 
I'm brand new. I'm looking for every little whatever I can grab my hands on to make a success in this business. And everybody is pushing off listings. A, I thought, wow, they have their, their buyers. I mean, their sellers have great confidence in them that you know they're going to sit around and wait for them to be ready till September, October. And then I started getting angry, and I went up to them and I'd say, Hey, listen, if you don't want to do it, I'll do it for you. And then you know we'll, you'll, we'll split it, whatever. And right. they're like, No, no, no. Summertime is not the right time to sell. They all had their vacation plans and they all did whatever. This went on for years and I thought, well, you know what? I never participated in that. I always from day one went into summer month, went into fall months, winter months, whatever. And I always found success in the summer as a young new agent. You know, I think this is a very interesting conversation. It continues today. Because in my experience, for me, it's not been about not wanting to work in the summer because I always believe that if I'm going to even take a week or two weeks off to have a coworker who covers and shows and does open houses while I'm that. gone. Yep. Absolutely. Some brokers don't, but I, I think that room. it is. Yeah, absolutely. We all definitely <laughs> we all do. do that. But I think that, so for me, it was never, it's never been about not wanting to list in the summertime, but the data that I was seeing on specifically Corcoran, Element, like all the, the high volume brokerages, I always saw that there was a dip in the market in terms of number of sales. And this has been different the last, I would say three years or so. So definitely the last two. So as the market changes, also depends on the actual property. So if it is a specific, I mean, we, you know, this is a longer discussion, but if it's specific kinds of properties, you just know it's going to sell really well in the summer and you absolutely list Outdoor it. space. Mm-hmm. Some other listings that are going to be of a certain price point of a certain specific target buyer, then if that buyer is out of town over the summer, especially late July and August, then it's better to wait till the fall. So it's, for me, I thought the answer was it depends. Mm-hmm. And I think it's changed in the last couple of years because we have such an influx of other types of buyers. Uh, but it's interesting to hear Rachel and Vince say that maybe that's it's been more broker-driven to begin I with. I have listed mm-hmm. three things last week. Uh-huh. All of them not only met the asking price, surpassed the asking price. Wonderful, yeah. At Vince's building, yeah. 505, mm-hmm. 1570 a square foot for mm-hmm. the studio. Yeah. Right, wow. Yeah. Wow. Morning side, I got a million fifty for a two-bedroom with a maid's room. Needs That's a gut f- renovation. Phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Phenomenal. All right, After listen. one day of showing, it's, it's blown it, up. It, yeah. it, it's wow. Do you think this was true three years ago? Um... Not as much. No, no, right? No. So you think the market has shifted then yes. in the last couple of years? Guys, okay. we have to end right oh. here. Sorry, this is Good Morning New York for this week. I don't know where the time flies by. We're back next Tuesday morning. You could always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for being here. And I will. we will see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.